0: well here we are you know what an incredible week this has been um you know probably like you uh, we've been watching the news and r- reading about people who are suffering maybe some of you have really suffered this week and gone through some really difficult things um you know on monday when jeff called me and said hey the church is flooding i um you know ran up there and mark hill was there and the firefighters were there and uh, you've heard some of this. If you haven't, you can watch the video that we have on our website that tells you the story. But, you know, it, it was interesting to be there and to experience a lot of grief and then yet a lot of God's power and presence um, in the midst of that. And I kind of, you know, before I get too heavy into the sermon, or a little bit of levity for a moment, okay? And I'm not downplaying, into you know, the suffering. I think we've all been suffering a lot. But I don't know if you saw this post about how creative Texans have been over the past week. Any of you see that? Um, they, you know, some of the things that they came up with is they used a, a water burger cup to cover over their faucets outside so it wouldn't, you know, freeze. And this is like an article, I think it was posted in the New York Post or something like that. And they're like, oh, Texans are crazy, you know, it's like this water burger thing. It had um, talked about Texans using their Ford trucks to power their houses. You know, that that to me seems just awesome. Um They talked a little bit about this guy in Houston who opened up his entire furniture store for people to sleep in, so they wouldn't be cold at night. I'm sure y'all know who that is. Um, But the two that were really fun, I thought, was um, it had pictures of people and people in their Subarus on the beach picking up sea turtles and putting them in their cars and then taking them to a place to get warmed up. And they like they, along with the Parks and Wildlife Department, moved hundreds of sea turtles from dying in the freezing, you know, in the cold weather. But this might be the most fun. Um, high school students in the woodlands went snowboarding in the woodlands this week, right? Actually, Walker was showing me some videos of, of kids that were actually that he knows who were snowboarding in the woodlands. Just like keep that in your head. Um, if this past year has been anything, I think unusual is, is definitely a good word for it. And I thought that was a 2020 thing. But here we are, um, less than 12 months out when the pandemic began, experiencing a lot of unexpected things. Things that we don't anticipate, and kind of wondering, man, if that sort of thing happened, what on earth would we do? And yet here we are, meeting to worship God's people, able to gather, hearing his word, singing together, remembering his goodness. Um, uh, This church, the Woods Edge Community Church, I've known Jeff a long time. I reconnected with him when I first came back to the woodlands in July. And sent him a quick email and said, hey, I don't know what we're going to do, but this is our situation. He connected me with Andy, who's in there in the back, and then Ron, who I don't think is here. And Andy and Ron and James and I all got together, and we started planning, like, if we could do this worship service. And um, it's been really encouraging to see God go before us and and provide ways for us to be together, um, even when our plans fail, that his plans succeed. So just consider a couple things. The Woods Edge, uh, their mission statement is to love Jesus, journey together and bring hope. That's what they are seeking to have to find their church. To love Jesus, journey together and bring hope. Just consider like what we're doing here. Because of their love for Jesus, um, we're able to be here. Because of their desire to journey with people as they're following God, they're journeying with us. It, it it's it's uh, it took resources for them to even let us come in here with like I think 5 staff members here from the woods edge plus another gentleman named warren that i met who oversees the property who gave us his phone number like they are journeying with us and the reason that they're journeying with us is because as we're going to read in mark chapter 8 jesus dies is rejected he suffers so that he can rise again that's the journey and they're journeying with us and in journeying with us they bring us hope You know, um, this is a real physical expression, a a practical expression of us being able to see God at work in the church here at Woods Edge, but also in our church. You know, Jeff's church, our church, uh, we've been praying for each other for years. And, you know, here's an opportunity where where we've been able to be loved, and we are. You know, because Woods Edge loves people, we're being loved here. Because they want to journey with people, we're able to worship here. Uh, Because they want to bring hope to people, they're bringing us hope. It's a really, really beautiful thing. Um, I want you to think about this. The kind of hope that Wood's Edge is centered on, the kind of hope that we're centered on, is the hope that we have in Jesus. It's the hope that we have in Christ. And that kind of hope enables us to celebrate, and it enables us to grieve. Okay? I am grieving what has happened to our church. Uh, Some of you, probably once you saw the video that we put up where you could kind of see what had happened, it kind of hits you. Um, Just water pouring through the ceiling and our entire sanctuary being covered in water. To to use Kyle's words, it's jarring. But we can still, in the midst of that, have hope because our God loves us, is journeying with us, and is seeking to bring us hope. And um, the church is meant to be an expression of that. Woods Edge is. We're the recipients of it. Our church is because I've seen you at work. Um, I didn't call anybody and 30 people showed up at the church and we cleaned it out so quickly that I've had um, professionals come in and say, how did, how much water did you have in here? Like, how did you get this out of here? I'm like, you don't know our people. Like, just give them a task. And it's like, you know, there they go. So um, in the midst of a very, very difficult experience, I know some of you have suffered because I know some of your stories. Um, I, I know what's going on this week. Some of you have been without power, some without water, some have been stranded. We're all in a moment of grief because of what's happened. And yet, Jesus wants you to know that his church is at work. And they're hosting us right now. Let me read you this from Psalm 94, verse 11. It meant a lot to me as I was thinking about this week. Psalm 94, verse 11 says this. The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Yeah. You know, it's not that our plans are irrelevant. It's that any plans I make you realize they are only possible um, if nothing really gets in the way that's beyond my power. I don't have the power to make absolute plans that, that can't be thwarted or messed with because I'm, I'm finite. I'm human. We ha- all have those plans. And yet, Psalm 94, verses 17 and 18, or verse 18 and 19, when I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. So my plans fail, but God's faithfulness never fails. And when our feet slip and when anxiety strikes, God's response and his faithfulness is to say, I'm going to bring consolation that will bring joy. And um, I just want you to kind of bask in that because that, that's what's happening. Even this evening as we're worshiping together, God is bringing consolation. He understands our grief. He's with us in our grief. As we read in Mark, as I'm going to read here in a second, Jesus suffers with us, and yet he's moving us toward resurrection, okay? So just as kind of an intro to what we're about to do here, let me read our text for this evening. From Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to chapter 9, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. And so, um, as, as we consider this, like, this, is, this is a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark. This is a big deal. What Jesus is doing is he's revealing who he is and what his mission is, and people have a response to it. And He's very, very, very clear about it. Jesus asks his disciples in the verses just before what we read, who do people say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And um, they say, you know, maybe you're Elijah or you're Moses or perhaps uh, John the Baptist. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. And, you know, Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, for Jesus to make this kind of claim, you know, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago. C.S. Lewis talks, you know, made famous the idea that if Jesus is actually claiming to be the Messiah, to be the way, the truth, and the life, he's either mentally not well, he's either a liar, um, or he's thoroughly evil, or... He's actually the Messiah. And what Mark chapter, what's going on in Mark chapter 8 is Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear that he is, in fact, the Christ. And so Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. Then Jesus tells Peter, this is what we're going to do. I have to suffer. I have to be rejected. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. And Peter goes, can we talk about this? And rebukes him. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You have in your mind the concerns of humanity, and you know, a human mind and not God's concerns. And then we're kind of left in this moment before verse 2, which we'll get to, about how does Jesus then respond? Peter has accepted that Jesus is who he is in some ways. He's struggling to accept him, but he's also struggling to reject him. Peter doesn't like the way Jesus is talking. He's rejecting it. So just the two kind of ideas I want us to think about tonight. One is really knowing who Jesus is and then really considering what it means to follow him. Really knowing who Jesus is and what does it mean to then follow him. First, or this idea of really knowing who Jesus is. Again, Peter's struggling to understand who Jesus is. He wants to believe him, but there's something about Peter's understanding of who Jesus is that Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. You're missing it. See, Peter has expectations about who Jesus is supposed to be, and Jesus is not okay with it. It's like Peter has a version of who Jesus is supposed to be, and Peter's like, that's who you're supposed to be, and Jesus goes, no, that's merely human what you're talking about. I have something so much more big and so much more grand. You know, if you were to answer the question, what do you expect of God, how would you answer that? Like, what are your expectations of Jesus? How would you articulate that? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's an expectation Jesus gives you to have of him. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Mark chapter 9, verse 27, all things are possible with God. That is super uh, amazing and also difficult to believe. We struggle to believe it and to reject it. But Jesus says that. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world in John 16, uh, verse 33. The world will have trouble. You will encounter it, but take heart. I've overcome it. First John chapter 4, verse 9. It's one of the verses we've talked about memorizing together as a church this year. That the Father sent His one and only Son that the world might live through Him. It is not that Jesus don't, doesn't want you to have expectations of who He is. It's that he wants your expectations of who he is to be shaped by what he has revealed. And Jesus reveals to Peter, this is what's going to happen. This is who I am. I I want you to follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. And Peter rejects it. And Jesus actually rejects Peter's expectations. Not Peter personally, because he still wants to have a relationship with him. But he rejects Peter's expectations of who he's supposed to be because it's not who he is. Now, I recently saw this tweet. I'm not going to say who it is because it doesn't matter. But she was talking about the leadership in Texas. And this was her response. She said, inept is the wrong word. Hateful, vicious, cruel might apply. I feel for the people who are suffering through this weather. But God doesn't like. And then she lists a couple of politicians. Um, And then she says, if this isn't payback, I don't know what is. And what she's saying is, is that part of what's happening to us is because God's punishing us and punishing us for their leadership. Do you know what I think about that? Here's what I think Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I don't presume to know exactly how God's interpreting everything around me. So I don't know what to say to that. What I can say is that my God is gracious, He's revealed who He is, and He's inviting us to know Him. Like He's inviting us into relationship. Peter was doing the exact same thing that this this person was doing who was tweeting, putting his expectations on who God is. And I do that too. Sometimes I have expectations about what God's supposed to do, or what he's not supposed to do, or how he's supposed to act, or not supposed to act. And Jesus is inviting us to have not such a small version of who he is, not a human version, but to have the concerns of God as we consider who he is. In Mark chapter 8, verse 33, Jesus makes no bones about it. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, we all misunderstand God sometimes, but Peter was like dinging like at a high misunderstanding meter level, right? Jesus lays it out. He says, you couldn't be more opposed to who I am in this moment. So I'm rejecting your expectations of who I am. Sometimes human concerns are not God's concerns. Sometimes humans concerns are, human concerns are completely opposite of what God wants. So how can we know the concerns of God? Well, that's who Jesus is. He's come to reveal the will of his Father. He's come to make his Father known. He's come to tell us about his mission and inviting us to follow him on it. It's not supposed to be confusing. Jesus is God incarnate so that we might know him. The scriptures are our only rule and guide for our faith. We're not supposed to just come up with ideas about who Jesus is. We're actually supposed to say, God, who are you? Jesus, who are you? That's why we're studying the book of Mark is so that we can be shaped by him. In Mark 8, verse 32, Jesus tells Peter and all the disciples exactly what's going to be included in his mission. 832. But when Jesus G- um, Uh, verse 31 actually, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus doesn't desire to be a God of shadows. He is super clear with Peter. I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die but it's going to lead to resurrection and Peter's not particularly excited about that. You know, people have lots of ideas about who Jesus is, right? You know, sometimes people think of Jesus um, as one who just exists for my pleasure and my prosperity, right? If I just kind of name something, God's going to give it to me. Well, that's really human concerns. Like, God has greater things. Sometimes people view Jesus as like a cosmic Santa. If I'm good, he'll be good to me, right? That's not what the Scriptures teach. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus as someone who perfectly aligns with whatever we think is really important. Uh, That wasn't true for Peter, It's not true for us. God actually calls us into having our hearts centered on the person of who Jesus is because our version of who Jesus is is not big enough to really be a picture of who God actually is. And whenever we sort of make Jesus who we think he's supposed to be, we're making him so much smaller. We're making him in our own image. It becomes an idol. John Stott said this, idols are not limited to primitive societies. They're more sophisticated An idol is a God substitute. Any person or thing that occupies the place which God should occupy is an idol. So covetousness is is idolatry. Ideologies can be idolatries. So can fame and wealth and power, food, alcohol, other drugs, parents, spouse, children, friends, work, recreation, television, possessions, even church, religion, and Christian service. Anytime we put something in the place of who God's supposed to be, we make it an idol. And Jesus is saying, there's no life in that. If you really want to know me, if you really want to come after me, hear Peter's words. I'm the Messiah, which means I'm the healer. I'm the deliverer. I'm the one who speaks to the Father. I'm the one who speaks with authority from the Father. I'm the one who tells you what my mission is, and my mission is to come and to suffer and to be rejected and to die because it leads to resurrection. Peter gets it in in the beginning, you're the Messiah, and then he doesn't get it. And then Jesus rejects what Peter's saying and says, No, that's not true. But then actually, Peter is invited to open his eyes to actually see who Jesus is. If you read Mark chapter 9, verse 2, listen to what happens to Peter to really see who Jesus is. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So do you see what's happened? Jesus is not rejecting Peter. He's rejecting Peter's expectations of who he is. And then what does he do? He invites Peter to go with him to see him for who he really is. Now, if you were Peter in that moment, and you had finally seen Jesus for who he is, do you think you would have thought to yourself, oh yeah, I knew this already? Of course not. Your eyes are completely opened that God's love for you is so much more profound and so much more comprehensive, that Jesus' glory and his power is so much bigger than you could have imagined on your own, and that Peter actually sees Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah. It's unbelievable. It's meant to be glorious. So, do you really know the person of Jesus? Your image of who Jesus is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do? Is it being shaped by the scriptures? That's what God's inviting you to, even tonight. I'm going to to learn who Jesus is. I want to know who he is. I'm going to watch. I'm going to see. Which leads to the second idea of what does it really then mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? You know, hear those scriptures again from uh, starting with verse 34. Then he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? I mean, some of this we hear and we're like, I don't understand. Like, what is Jesus really trying to say in this moment? Jesus is reminding them, if you're going to follow me, it's going to include suffering. It's going to include rejection. It might even lead to death. But what it's going to ultimately end with is experiencing my resurrection. You know, Jesus conquers Death even for us, his people. Jesus is saying there might be suffering, there might be rejection, you might experience death, and of course we're all going to experience death, but maybe it's going to be like death of your pride, or death of your anxiety, or death of your fear, or death of your anger, or death of your doubts, or what about this? What if... You start to say to yourself, I'm going to stop assuming I know everything about who God is. I'm going to start humbly coming and saying, I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to see who Jesus is. And I want want to know who he is from his mouth and from his stories and from his word. Because what Jesus is saying is that if you deny yourself and come after him, the destination is not a question mark. The destination is absolutely finding your peace in the king of heaven and earth, the one who leads to resurrection. Now, William and I drove to Keystone this year in Colorado, and I used a map to get me there, and of course I just followed the blue arrow, right? Well, we get near Keystone, and I spend 30 minutes driving around because it keeps changing where I'm supposed to be. And so I was like, okay, I'll try the other app, right? So I, you know, I switched between uh, Google Maps and Apple Maps and went back and forth. Neither of those maps could figure out where I was supposed to go. The thing is, a lot of times those maps work, but in this moment, I didn't know what to do because the map was wrong. You see, Jesus is inviting us to go on a path that actually leads somewhere, and it always leads there, even when it's confusing, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't seem like it's really taking us where we're supposed to be going. Jesus is saying, look, if you come after me, if if you want to find your life, you'll find it. If you want to, uh, to be a part of what I'm doing and part of my kingdom, you're going to find life. If you're going to seek after me, it's going to lead to resurrection. Come and be part of making the kingdom of God known. You see, to really know who Jesus is is to understand that as the God of heaven and earth, as the Son of God, as the resurrected one, as the transfigured one, who spoke with Moses and Elijah, he's actually inviting us into a relationship. But what happens when we misunderstand who he is? How does God respond when you have wrong expectations on him? Well, how did he respond to Peter? Peter knows who Jesus is. You're the Messiah. Then Peter hears Jesus' plan for what he's going to do, and he says, nope, I'm not interested. Then Jesus rejects Peter's expectations, and then what happens? Jesus says, I'm going to show you who I am. I want you to see actually who I am. And he shows him who he is. Do you see what's paramount for Jesus? Do you know, when, have you ever been misunderstood before? Someone doesn't understand what you're doing. They don't understand what you're saying. Or maybe they offend you and hurt you. you, know, you maybe sometimes you're tempted to say, okay, fine, forget it. I'm done with you. Jesus doesn't have that response to Peter. He says, I reject your expectations of me. It's completely opposite of who I am. Now, come and see who I am. That's the same journey that Jesus is inviting us on. You know, we all are going to go through the process of understanding God's love for us. It's a journey. You know, kind of thinking about the Wood's Edge mission statement. God loves us. He's taking us on a journey so we can find true and lasting hope. As we read here, so we can find resurrection. Peter was being invited to come with Jesus on the way to the cross and to see this incredibly beautiful and spectacular vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus let him see it. Um, you know, as I'm thinking about what's going to happen for us over the next few weeks, uh, next two months, next three months, you know, remember when you used to think you could make plans and you could you could really know those plans or, or that's what's going to happen? I've kind of given up on that. We're still going to make plans, um, but I'm holding it loosely. Kind of going back to Psalm 94, like we make plans, but I'm finite. But God is faithful. God is true. God is the one who keeps our foot from slipping, and He's the one who's going to bring joy. You know, If you're someone who's really been suffering over the past couple weeks, for example, or the past week, like you had a particularly difficult time, um, please know that we love you and we want to support you. We want to care for you. Um, Let us know. Let us know how to pray for you. Some of you have done that. If you have other needs, we want to know how to do that because Jesus invites us to carry one another's burdens. He invites us to figure out how to love each other. Two, two kind of final ideas. The first is, if you haven't really experienced this kind of love that we're reading about here in the Gospel of Mark, something that is life-transforming, something that Jesus says, if you really want to find your life, you'll find it here. You know, if you try to save your life by your own means, you're not going to save it. He's saying, if you want to find your life in me, I'm going to give it to you. If you deny yourself, if you come after me, if you sacrifice with me, if you suffer with me, you might be rejected for me, but I'm going to raise you. If you're not sure if you really have experienced that kind of love, your focus really needs to be on asking the question of, have I experienced the love of God, and how can I experience the love of God? You know, one of the reasons that the Woods Edge Church is in this community is they want to provide a place where people can come and experience the love of Jesus. We're experiencing it as their brothers and sisters. They're sharing this place with us. Um, but that's why our church exists also. We want to be a place where people who want to experience the love of God can come and find it. I'm not a perfect person. You're not perfect people. Our Savior's perfect. Peter didn't always have the right expectations about who God is. You don't always have the right expectations about God who, who God is. I don't always have the right expectations. But Jesus is consistently pulling us closer to reveal himself to us. He's taking us on a journey that leads to resurrection. So, if you haven't experienced that kind of hope, I really hope you stick around, Grace. And I really hope you listen to our sermons and you read the scriptures, and you're part of the community because God reveals Himself while we're as we're around His people, as we read His scriptures. He invites us into that. If you have experienced it, I want to challenge you to think about ways to express that kind of love. You know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities this week to figure out how to express the love that God's revealed to us to to take up our cross and follow Jesus in serving others this week. I'm sure of it. You know, check on your neighbors. Check on your fellow church members. If you haven't called anybody in the church, you know, email them from our our Grace Connect or something. Say, hey, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? Or check on your neighbors or check out people in your community or people in your workplace and see if God might provide an opportunity for you to express the kind of love that he has shown to you toward others. The reason we do that it's because in doing it, we're, we're denying ourselves. We're, we're going in the way of the cross. We may, we may suffer. We may be rejected. We may experience death, like maybe death to our desires and death to our plans or whatever it is. But it's always going to lead to resurrection. That's where Jesus is taking us. And so I want to encourage you to, to think about this week. Think about that this week. Now, let me close with this quote. It's from one of the commentaries I'm reading on Mark right now. He wrote this, Cross-bearing as a follower of Jesus means nothing less than giving one's whole life over to following him. And here comes another surprise. This is the way of total freedom. If you clutch your life wholly to yourself, protecting it against all others, asserting all your rights, needs, and privileges, you lose it because it isn't life any longer. But if, however, you acknowledge that life is not yours by right that all is privilege, and that it is to be lived in the love that the gospel story reveals, self-giving love, then you possess it wholly. There is now nothing to lose and everything to gain. That's what Jesus is inviting us, the path he's inviting us on, this this following his way of the cross, making our way towards Easter. We're being invited to actual freedom in the grace of Christ, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks that you made yourself known to Peter, that you were patient with him when, he, when his expectations of you were off and wrong and completely opposed to your ways. We're grateful to you that you continued to love him and have him in relationship and invited him to actually see you for who you are. And we would ask, Lord Jesus, that you might do that with us, that where we have wrong expectations about who you are, that you might draw our hearts towards you and show us the way of the cross, where perhaps we have presumed who you are, that you might make yourself known to us in more clear ways, that you might use your church to be a place we can experience your grace and express it towards one another. So we give you thanks for your faithfulness and your promises to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.